Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special and newly released at 8am. Mailbag edition. I'm Scott Phillips. He is Andrew Page. And I'm not going to ask him what strawman.com is. I don't even care what strawman.com is. What's strawman.com, Andrew? <laughs> I was going to say, really? <laughs> that would be your first. Um, go to the website and check it out. You've given the address. Oh, look out. I like it. Yeah, strawman.com. Yeah. I, I could describe uh, it or you could find it yourself. Of course, I have to tell you that fool.com.au is who I work for and uh, he doesn't get all the free plugs uh, <laughs> where we give investment advice and stock recommendations. Mate, um, we got a massive mailbag. Uh, I think it's our second week back uh, from holidays and the mailbag is full and overflowing. Let's try and get through some questions. Let's try Let's and cover some stuff off. Uh, let's get straight into it. Mate, uh, Steve says, Hi, Scott and Ram. Thanks for your level-headed approach to all things business and investing. My question is this. I have pages of reasonings and spreadsheets filled with numbers that show what I believe the future holds for the businesses I own. That's a very good start, Steve. However, whenever I pick up a quarterly or annual report, I find myself searching for confirmation of my thesis. Mm. Do you have any techniques that can help overcome this need for confirmation bias? As an example, I have started looking for analyst reports yeah, on the companies I own to see how others view their futures, but these are hard to come by for free. I've read the little book of behavioral investing, which is spectacular, which is fascinating, says Steve, as it was, is the, sorry, which is fascinating as it was, is the catalyst for this whole internal battle. Thanks for any help you can offer. That's from Steve. I will, um, I'll just throw a personal anecdote, Andrew. Uh, there was a broker uh, note out not too long ago. It was in the public domain and, uh, and someone shared it internally at the Motley Field. Hey, there's this issue report. Hey, if you ever want us to look. And we all individually went through a subtle look for, oh, I wonder if they like the companies I like. Oh, that's good. That's good. They like that one. <laughs> Which is exactly the confirmation bias that Steve's talking about. And even though you know better, I, I've used this example before, mate. I used to work in the food industry and the impulse purchase is one of the king, you know, you put something in front of people, you put Kit Kats at the checkout or you put, you know, whatever it is in front of people, the shapes on the, on the, end, of the end of the aisle. They're trying to get you to impulsively pick it up and go, oh, okay, I'll grab that. And I do it. I look at it and go, I know you just want me to buy the kicker. I know that's why it's here. I'm going to do it. Okay, but I know you're what you're doing to me. It's like I can't, I can't avoid it even though, even though I want to avoid it. You know, it's that thing of, you know, trying to not, try not to do it even when you know what's going on is really, really, really hard because we're just human. Yeah. Uh, what do you do, mate? How do you avoid... Like, you know, we all want to see that our theses are playing out, right? Mm. The problem is that becomes a bit of a, can I find evidence that maybe I might possibly be right if I, if I kind of tilt it and squint and, and imagine that maybe a couple of words are different. Maybe I can almost see that things are working out. How do you, how do you, how do you separate genuine confirmation of, hey, I think I'm right from, I'll take anything and, and just call it confirmation bias. I'll just, whatever's close enough is good enough, I'll, I'll take it. I love this question from Steve and I'd be lying if I said, oh, well, this is how I avoid it because I don't avoid it because I do exact, exactly yeah. the same and I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's really That's the hard. worst part. I know, yeah. I know I'm doing it. I can't help myself doing it. I still feel better that it's there. It's like, oh, damn it. Oh, it's, you know, gosh, we're so pathetic. You know, our monkey brains, <laughs> there's a lot to answer for. Uh, I, lo- so I love the quote. This is like you know, the, the tragedy of humanity is that we have paleolithic emotions, medieval uh-huh. institutions, and godlike powers. You know, oh, I like that. Like, isn't that nice? That's a great uh, line. I'm not going to know who said that, but. Not um, easy to, to uh, memorize either. Well done. Yeah, it, well, it's just, it's just, I've thought about it a lot because it really, I mean, you could mm-hmm. go back in a time machine 10,000 years and the, yeah. pluck someone out. 
middle of Africa and they're, they're exactly like us, you know, in yeah. every single physiological yes, way. Yes, uh, yes. But, but now that, you know, we just, we also mm-hmm. have the capacity to like go to Pluto and yeah. <laughs> split the atom and do all these other and, and kind invest, of things. right? That's the, that's the fundamental yeah. problem. Our brains are not, like you literally need to overcome evolution to invest well. It, yeah. it is literally that stark. And I don't mean that any sort of, I, I haven't accomplished it, you haven't accomplished it, but the extent, to the extent to which you can, mm. I think pretty much outright def- determines your chance of success. Oh, it's 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 such a huge thing. I was trying to explain to my little boy the other day, who just you know, like, <laughs> like any kid loves lollies. Like again, ten thousand years ago, you're wandering through the jungle and you come across yeah. a bush full of yeah. berries. What do you do? You gorge yourself. Of course you do. You, just, yep. you put as much. Yep. In, I don't know what I'm going to eat again. It is yep. entirely yep. sensible thing to do to eat as no no one in that era was going, mm, maybe I should <laughs> watch my weight or something like that. You just <laughs> you just go for it. And you, your brain uh-huh. says, oh, this has got sugar in it. This yeah. is fantastic. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do yeah. it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's the same with, with investing. Um, and that sugar, by the way, the green like, even our grandparents didn't have that much sugar. Like this is such a new thing. Like it's, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. I, it's, it's impossible to, you, can't, you, you can only, you can't, you can't overcome the impulse. All you yep. do is rationally set up some boundaries to try and stop yourself. So look at the pokey industry, right? So those mm-hmm. machines just they 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 they're trying to they're doing all the same kind of tricks. And and these days, when it comes to the share market, we've got all these apps. They're all doing mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're all the, the, the you are incentivized in every way, shape, or form to trade, to act, to do something, oh. because there is someone out there yep. who's yep. figured all this out. Yep. Knows that even if people and this is this is the greatest trick ever pulled. We know we know what we're doing, and you know what we're doing to you, mm-hmm. and you're still going to do it, yep. right? So, so anyway, what do I do? I think for me, the solution or the remedy has always been to keep an investment diary, yeah. and I, I just think when I'm going to buy something, I write out why I'm buying it, mm. and I write, and I also during that process, I try to write out what would constitute. A break of the thesis. Yeah. Will I stick to it? <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say because that's the hard part, right? The the rationale of why you did something is almost easier than 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 the ability to just contort reality to either fit or not fit what we want it to be, right? That's the confirmation yep. bias, Steve. It's not like I bought it for this reason. Like that's fine. I'm still holding because I think I can possibly squint and see some sort of evidence that I'm right because I need to be right because that's just again such a human emotion of like I'd rather be I'd rather mislead myself was well, it easy to fool people and convince them they've been fooled yeah right? that that's that's yep. the that's the the horrible truth so, so, so it's not a foolproof uh, approach mm, mm. but it does it does help yeah. ground me you know and and uh, I like anyone. You can kind of do mental mm, gymnastics mm, mm. to sort of say, "Yeah, I know I said that then, but what I didn't realize at the time was." And but, it's it, but it does because yeah, yeah, it does help though because yep. otherwise, I mean, without that, I'm yeah, I'm yeah. I'm less likely to have a lot of these things front of mind. Yeah. So um, so what I look here's a plug. So with Strawman, I'll say this because it's free, right? So if you want to create a free account, get on there, and you can just for any company dial it up, mm, put in what mm. you think is a fair price. And then create us, we call them straws. They're like tweets, you know? So uh, mm-hmm. this is the bull case. This is the risks. This is when I'd sell. Uh, as a free user, that's sort of only you can see that, but great, right? Okay, now right. You, you've got an online journal that you can you can use that will help keep you honest, we'll try and help keep you honest for all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's yeah. the best. It's the best. It's not yeah. a perfect answer, but yeah. it's the best answer I have. And if you don't use that, just use a pen and paper, mm-hmm. but just just journal it and, 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 and um, it, it, it does help, I think. I like it, mate. I have no better answers either to Steve's point and your point, mate. It's um, uh, you can't overcome it. Um, 
couple of things I think, uh, the first thing I'll say is you, you probably, it, it's why, to your point about the diary, but even before the diary, it's why the, the research when you make the purchase is so important. Mm. Because if you choose well, it, it kind of makes the other stuff less important or less relevant. And that sounds obvious, and it sounds. So here's the thing: we said on Friday, I talked about the fact that you can, go, you know, focus on all the little things, or you can get a couple of big things right. Right? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to make money? And so my investing has been really simply distilled down to a few things that, if I get roughly right more often than not, I'll do okay. Hmm. Knowing that there, you know, and you've you made I think about Howard, Howard Marks's two by two box, right? Is it knowable hmm. and is it important? If it's knowable and important, you better bloody know it. If it's knowable and important, don't bother. If it's Super important but unknowable, well, then don't waste your time. Mm. So it's kind of, is it knowable? Is it important? Yeah. Um, the, the stuff that's in the unknowable and important, it's just, it, it, of course it's important, but it's unknowable. But it's, mm. it's a complete waste of time, right? You are literally, you know, running into a brick wall over and over again. And so for me, it's like, if I get the, if I get the purchase roughly right, if I, if I focus on quality, I focus on the growth potential, I focus on um, the things that make for a good business more often than not. I'm still going to be wrong sometimes, but if I get the research right, and and do and keep buying those businesses that meet that criteria as often as I as I can or I want to. For me, that's actually kind of part of the overcoming it. It's just like get mm. the decision right up front. Because I said before, if you if you're squibbling about valuation and then you're saying, well, okay, maybe I'll sell a bit of this, or maybe it's a little bit overvalued, or maybe it's this, you've got to be right about that. Then you've got to be right about whatever else you replace it with. And if you've done the work in the first place to get a really high quality company, you own it. It's like, well, you'd part with it really slowly, right? So for me. Mm. I, I hope most of the, and this everyone's different. You you are, you run your different, your portfolio slightly differently, but for me, I'm hoping most of the companies I own now are still own in 25 years, and some of them will be worth less than I bought them for today. Will I sell them? Maybe uh, I've sold a couple recently. Eventually, sold Gage uh, Good Drinks Australia, which you know I laughed about previously. But most stuff I keep is just like, well, uh, I'm just going to keep it because the buying for me, if I get that right, is more important than trying to quibble over is there is there you know am I, am I suffering confirmation bias on on whether it's succeeding or not? So I'm just going to buy it. Yeah. And I buy something else, and buy something else, or buy the same thing over and over again, and then eventually, hopefully, if I'm right more often than not, it's the buying that will save me, not what happens next. Just to double down on that, I mm. know um, former colleague of ours, Joe Mega, who mm. ran the, the fund at the Motley Fool. I got oh, another fund two name checks in two podcasts. Yeah, I oh, credit where it's due. I mean, Joe Joe got a lot of things right, and mm. and he talked a lot about process. Yeah. And focus trust on the process. On trust the process. <laughs> and where I think a lot of where yeah. a lot of new yeah, investors right. go wrong, they think if I've got a good process, it, it, it leads to good outcomes all the time. Yeah. But yeah. but it doesn't. I think a good and That's maybe a good not point, the actually. maybe not the best analogy, but a good analogy. If you ever watched like mm-hmm. Twenty One or or any of those sort of yeah, card counting point. movies, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they all these people who beat the casino, and they did it because they had a really good process. Now that doesn't mean that they won every hand that yeah. they played. But when you're counting. Done. Yeah, you, you, oh, they'd have terrible swings. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's 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 probabilistic, right? So I've got a process. If I'm counting cards and I know that most of the tens have been played, then I, it just swings mm-hmm. things around. Yeah. So I just yeah. bet more heavily when the odds are in my favor, and I and, yep. I, and I don't bet when the odds are against me. Mm-hmm. And then you, so so here's here's what really will screw with your mind as investing. <laughs> Let's say that you do have a great process, right? Yeah. Undeniably yeah. true, and it's it just it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can prosecute that and yep. just make. "Quote unquote mistake after mistake after like just you're like well yeah. I'm doing everything right yeah. and the markets there slapping you going nah yeah. nah you've done it wrong you've done it wrong you've done yeah. it wrong and then during those times you'll go okay I need to reinvent myself I mean, this is yes, where people go yes, wrong right exactly I've, I'm doing something wrong now I need mm-hmm, to try this mm-hmm, strategy mm-hmm. Um, but but the the secret is and again the big caveat here is mm-hmm. is that you've mm-hmm. got a good process is is that you you just stick at it even when it's yeah. not working 
because by def- a, a process is good by definition if it works more often than it doesn't. That yes. doesn't mean that you can't. A perfectly weighted coin, I can flip heads 10 times in a row. It doesn't mean that there's anything dodgy going on. It's just, that's just within the realms of, of probability that, that can happen. Is it likely? No. Can it happen? Yeah. Uh, in fact, three or four times in a row is really not that improbable. <laughs> so, and this is, so you get people who are particularly, imagine the, if you just got into investing a year ago. Mm. Right, you've had okay. I'm doing this. Oh, I'm a pretty good run for six months, and then everything's just you've fallen flat on your face. Mm. And and what happens every single cycle is like this sucks. The share market's rigged. <laughs> it's just a bunch of gambling. It sucks. Yeah. It sucks. It sucks. And I get out and I lose, yeah. or or yeah. I switch into now I start playing some other kind of dodgy strategy, or you know, it just mm. it mm. it takes a huge amount of discipline to just keep focusing not on the individual outcomes, mm. focus on the process. Yeah, exactly, Matt. And I think that's uh, that's the right way to, to end it. Let's move on to another question from this time, uh, another Steve, funnily enough. Not the same Steve, I can tell by the email address, but another Steve. Guys, what a great pod, by the way. Thanks, Steve. Awesome insights while keeping it understandable and genuine. I've heard you talk a lot about dollar cost averaging into the market using ETFs or LICs, listed investment companies, etc. But how do you know when to dollar cost average into an individual stock? If you buy 500 or 1000 or $10,000 of a stock and the price goes up, do you need to have done a DCF to calculate what its intrinsic value is and whether to accumulate? Or should you leave dollar cost averaging to the ETFs and LICs? Uh, I know Scott had mentioned he rarely does a DCF, so how do you know when to buy more? One more question if I can. What are your thoughts on the 110 minus your age rule for shares to cash ratio? Is it a made-up number? Question mark. P.S. I'm 31, been investing since 26 and have really appreciated your insights through the tougher times to stay the course. Regards, Steve. Mm. Mate, I'll, I'll take first swing at this one and then you can jump Another in. Another good question. Um, uh, so, Steve, I think what I probably would suggest is the dollar cost averaging idea is a general concept not a specific thing to apply so uh, in saying that so i wouldn't dollar cost average into every single stock every single month that's not necessarily you can do it that way if you have cheap brokerage or free brokerage i guess you could do it that if you way if you wanted to and maybe that'd actually work um but generally speaking the idea of dollar cost averaging is just to keep investing regularly uh, no matter where the market is and that can apply to individual stocks as well as the market when i say what the market is i guess i'm saying Generally speaking, if you put $1,000 a month into the market or $5 a month or $10,000 a month or whatever you've got, um, to use your numbers, um, the, uh, you know, that, that, that activity is not necessarily about saying, you know, pick, pick which stock you dollar cost averaging to and when because that's what dollar cost averaging is. It's just saying keep investing regularly. Put money to work regularly in your best ideas. That is, is kind of the, the more general approach in my mind of dollar cost averaging rather than being really specific. Because uh, same as the market itself, right? The, the, there are times when the market will be more expensive and less expensive. And we don't do a DCF on the market to work out whether to buy the ETF this month or not. We simply say we're going to always uh, dollar cost average into the ETF. And so sometimes when the market's super high, sometimes it's super low, uh, take, take the COVID years, right? Mid, Mid-Feb, you buy some. Then mid-March, you buy some. You're buying at, you know, a 40% discount the second month. Um, you know, was the previous month too high? Was the current month too low? We know in hindsight the answer to that question, but more broadly, it was just a question of just invest regularly. Sometimes you buy high, sometimes you buy low. So that's the broad idea. When it comes to me for dollar cost averaging, that's so if I think about the stocks I'm buying, for me, dollar cost averaging is just putting the same amount of money to work every month or roughly, you know, it depends on what you're saving and stuff. But generally speaking, that's the idea. I just buy my best idea every month. I just say, okay, what do I, what do I, I've got $1,000, pick a number. 
Um, well, what, what's my best idea right now? And I do that. And that's what I do with dollar cost average every, not always every single month, but regularly enough. I just buy something every time I've got the money in the account. And for me, that's dollar cost averaging. I pick my best idea. It's not always the same stock. Some companies I only ever bought once, never again. Others I bought five or six times. Uh, ETFs I've done the same with. So it does depend. For me though, the dollar cost averaging is about at a portfolio level, make sure you're adding more cash rather than at a company level. Uh, within that, I, I would just simply buy my best idea or ideas plural depending on how you're breaking up your investment mm. at any point in time what about you mate no i think it's well said yeah for a general broad-based etf approach just pick a number a period and just stick with it no matter what that's easy that's really easy mm-hmm. um uh yeah for for a portfolio of where you're picking your individual stocks i do it exactly the mm-hmm. same way i don't know actually i actually don't have a set schedule um mm. my personal situation is, is I don't have a salary. So money comes in when it comes yeah. in. And yeah. <laughs> so it's just different. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, when, when there is money, I available to invest, I look mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. So in, in answer to Steve's question on intrinsic value, does that play a part? Yeah. And I, I look, I look at yes, all of, of the options yeah. that I have. Yeah. Yeah. What company has the best risk reward opportunity which which one is is trading at the most attractive discount to its yep. intrinsic yep. value and i'll put money there maybe it's the same one that i did the last three times in a row maybe it's a completely new company but it depends so i wouldn't i wouldn't just be buying into a company mm. for the sake of it because i said i would do it every month yep. i mean maybe this yes, is a company exactly. that i like but geez it's like no it's yep. be Correct. ridiculous it's, it's, it's tripled in the last three months like yep. mm, I still like it but it's not it's much less valuable well, much, it's, a, it's a much less attractive yeah. proposition at this point in time all else being equal so yep. yeah yeah don't have it don't overthink it wait till you get yep. a bit of money look around what are your opportunities what's the best one just dribble it in dribble it yep. in dribble it in and and overall that's a pretty good pretty good um way to approach it Agreed, agreed. Um, one quick one about the DCF question, just to quickly touch on that, Steve's. Um, I don't do DCF very often, mate, largely because... I, DCF, I, I, or do you mean D, D, DRP? No, he's talking, about, he's talking about DCF specifically. So okay. what, what he's saying is, how do I choose which stock to buy? If I don't do a DCF, how do I pick the right price to buy what stock? Oh, okay, gotcha. And he says, I don't, I don't do a DCF, so how do, I, how do I do that calculation or how do I work out what stock to buy? Um Oh, sorry. <laughs> it, it, it's combination. I'm getting these my acronyms all mixed yeah, up. Yeah, I know. Now it's okay. a combination of a few things, Steve. For me, the first is that um, it, it's a bit like I'm not going to compare myself to Warren Buffett, but Charlie Munger has never seen Buffett do a DCF. Um, I, I think for me, partly it's kind of become a bit second nature, just the concept behind it, and knowing that you can never be 100 percent accurate anyway. Once you've got the kind of concept of what sort of growth for what sort of time period, you, you start to get the, the kind of a, a, a second sense. So I would absolutely start with DCFs. I would get every investor to start with DCFs. And then if they, if you love them, keep using them. If you don't love them, you've learnt the idea, you've kind of internalized the concept, then you can kind of let them go a little bit. So that's that's for me why I don't do it. Not because I hate them, not because I think they're they're useless. Um, just because I think it's one of those those things. Um, uh, generally speaking, once I have a sense of, I've, I own probably oh, 20 ASX companies, I think, something like that. Um, I have a sense of what price I think they're worth or, or generally kind of what I expect their market futures to look like, their business futures to look like. And when I get the chance to do that, um, if the shares are down meaningfully or the business improve meaningfully, then I kind of just mentally, almost informally adjust my expectations. Uh, so a business has done really, really well. Okay, I'll pay more for that. That's that's great. It's going really well. The price is still reasonable. Um but particularly from a, DC, a dollar cost averaging perspective, once I own it, uh, I, you can kind of then mentally keep track of the combination of the movement in the business uh, quality 
and momentum and the movement at the price and then kind of just adjust your, your, your thoughts that way. So some companies fall in half and I wouldn't touch them again. Others go up 15%. I'm like, yeah, I still love it. So we're going to buy some more. Um, so it's, it's kind of one of those, you'd, you'd have to recalibrate to some degree. And I'm not suggesting people be um, reckless with it at all. I just, for me, it's like, I know how, range, how big the range of outcomes is likely to be. I tend to prefer quality over price, generally speaking. <coughs> and also long-term growth potential. And if I can get both of those, I'm kind of, the price is the third in order on that for me. You, mate? Yeah, I, I, I lo- it's a really important concept to, mm-hmm. to understand. Um, but the, it does lead you into this false confidence, though, sure. because you put so much work into it. You've got your spreadsheet. I've worked out my revenue line, my cost line, this, my margins. I've done this, I've done that. And it just, it just my thinking is the more forecasts, or let's call it what it is, guesses I have to make, <laughs> exactly, the more likely I'm, I am to be wrong. So these days, I, I, I kind of, I've got this, I'm sure some people will laugh at this, but it works for me. I have to, I, I guess three things. Hmm? What's revenue going to be five years out? Hmm. What's the net margin going to be five years out? Yeah. And what's a reasonable multiple that the market would pay for a business like this mm-hmm. five years out? That gives me the share price of what it is in five years. Mm-hmm. Then I just need to discount it by what return I want. So mm-hmm. I think a company will be earning $100 million in 2027. I think that they have a 10% net margin because that's what businesses in that sector do and rah, 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 rah. Mm-hmm. So they'll make $10 million in net profit. Mm. I think they'll probably trade it a 20 times multiple because they seem to be growing pretty well over that period of time. And that's, you know, not far off the average during good times, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, right. et cetera. So now I've got a $200 million company. Mm. So there's, let's say, $100 million shares on issue. You just, you just, the maths is really simple, right? And you just, you just, mm. and then I divide it by, let's say I want 10% a year, I divide it by 1.1 for five, time, five times in a row. There's my intrinsic value. Mm-hmm. People yeah. will look at that and go, oh, but you haven't factored this in, you haven't factored <laughs> that in. Yeah. yeah. But, but it, but it's a real. What I know when I do that approach is I I know the I know the big things, or I know what the big things need to be. So what what kind of growth is this company likely to achieve? I could if that's wrong, then the whole thing is. Wrong. If any of these things are wrong, the whole thing is wrong. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's that's why I'm not too specific about it because the chance yeah. of getting all three right and right to the degree of specificity required, yeah, is really tough. I'm gonna say for me, mate. The other thing is because I'm I'm generally a dollar cost averaging kind of investor. I'm not looking for an absolute number. I'm trying to work out which is the best of them. So it's a relative game for me where I'm just mm. like, okay, well, I'm going to buy something. Um, and plenty of people sit on cash and just accrue cash. I, I'm, I'd rather be caught with my pants up to use Buffett's phrase. Um, so I look around and go, I've got, I've got 500 bucks, $1,000 to invest. Which of these is the best idea I've got? Rather, what's the absolute price? So it's almost a, it's almost a relative game of, you know, uh, to your point, based on the current share price, which has got mm. the best future? Uh, rather than what's is it worth it eleven dollars or twelve dollars or five dollars a share? So like, well, there's these two ideas. Which of these is is you know ha- has the best potential future from the current price? Um, again, you can do that with a formal DCF. Or for me, it's just kind of like well, you know, this this business is good, bad, better, worse uh, than than this business. This is my best idea this month, and so that's the one I I go with. It's how we run the service. I remotely for share advisor and have for, I've been there for ten years. It's been around for ten and a half. Um, we pick up, we make a recommendation each month. It's just what is the single best idea we've got? You know, that, that we don't do intrinsic valuations. We don't do uh, at that service at least, uh, you know, so we just kind of go, okay, well, it's, that's the best idea. That's the, that's the single, you know, of, of all the available options right now, that's the one I want to put my money in. And because I'm dollar cost averaging, by definition, that's the one I go with. Yeah. 
Such a deep, such a, so we could talk about it for hours, oh, it's right? It's such probably a, so it's much, such, not making any more sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess the important, the important thing is, is to have thought about some of these yes, things. Yes, yes, yes. You know, is, 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 is yeah, you know, absolutely. again, you're right, actually. What, don't just buy something because of, of mm-hmm. the share price going up. You've heard it at the pub or whatever. It's just like, what kind of growth? There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with a company that might not grow at all, right? Yeah. At the price, right. But what I, is this, yeah. is this Woolies? Do I think it's yeah. like a three yeah. to 5% growth or is this a new tech company, which could be 20% mm. growth? Mm. Is it the kind of company that operates in a hyper-competitive, razor-thin margin kind of area? Or is it something that <laughs> yes, exactly. has a bit of a competitive edge and, and enjoys a pretty decent uh, margin, you know? Yeah. And, and then what, what kind of mood what, – how much, how much of the heavy lifting does the market have to do in, in, the, in, the, in the sense of, you know, do I, do I need the, the PE to be at 100 in five years' time to do well? Or can yeah, I do well right. even, even if the market's in a yeah. funk and the PE's 10? Yeah. You know, but at least I know what needs to happen. And as mm-hmm. new information comes to light, I can say, all right, well, that revenue – assumption was a bit too optimistic or mm. yeah, maybe I was a bit silly to think the margins could be that good or <laughs> geez, you know, the world has yeah, changed yeah. and maybe maybe assuming ten times sales was not a sensible approach mm. anymore. Or you know, you've you've, you've just mm. you've you've got a, a touchstone to refer mm. back to. And mm. yeah, as long as you as long as you've worked through it, having mm. consideration for some of these core fundamental type things, you're ahead of you're ahead of a lot of people. Yeah, nice mate, lovely. Um, so you've asked about the, the the rule of 110 minus your age uh, oh, yeah. for shares and cash. Um, I, 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 well, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say exactly that. I hate this idea. I here's the thing: it's it's absolutely completely uh, uh, situational and personality. Yeah. So I, I let me start backwards. When you get to 65, if you have invested for long enough and had a decent return for long enough, you probably need no cash at all. Which sounds stupid, right? But let but hear me out. Um, let's say, let's let's just make up a number. Let's say by the time you retire, you got two million dollars in investable assets, and let's say it's today, right? So we're in inflation and yeah, time value money stuff. Let's just say let's say you retired today at, at six five with two million dollars. If you get the average 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 dividend return from the ASX, that's four and a half percent. If you throw on top of that the franc credits, the average franc credits, let's call it five. I'm going to call it five and a half because it makes my maths easier, mate. That's 110 grand a year, essentially tax-free. You'll pay a little bit of tax on that, but with the franking credits, you know. So, so think about think about maybe maybe let's call it 90 grand after tax, 85 grand after tax, just just for fun. I haven't done the numbers. Let's assume it's that. If you and let's assume dividends fluctuate a little bit. Some years it's 95 grand, other time other years it's 75 grand or 70 grand. That is perfectly enough for for anybody with a sensibly diversified portfolio to live a very 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 happy life and not have any cash at all. Mm. Okay. Now that's pretty aggressive as a concept. General advice would be have three to five years of cash aside in case you have to pay bills and other things or your investments are, are suffering. But if you are literally, so we run a service called Everlasting Income. This is not a plug at all, but we own, it's 19, cash, 19 stocks and one cash position. The cash position is 4% of the portfolio. And that's just to allow for a buffer of dividends being received and cash coming out for living expenses, right? And we target 4% return. We're going to get more than that, which means we actually slowly build the portfolio, but 4% is conservative and reasonable, and it doesn't risk our members overspending. You, if you're able to do that and extract that sort of cash, unless your living expenses are much higher, and if they are, then probably have a good look at yourself, um, you, don't, you don't need cash because, you know, unless you're just simply trying to mentally, personality, emotionally deal with volatility. Because the shares could, think about, again, the GFC, shares doubled and halved and whatever. Uh, that that portfolio I talked about, I only use that because it's a worked example, kept paying out exactly that same amount every time, despite the fact that a lot of dividends were cut and suspended and then returned and whatever. 
we paid out 4% and 4% for every single month. Well, one-twelfth of that, 4% per annum. Regardless, the shares crashed massively then recovered well and you know, we just kept paying it out. So we didn't need any extra cash other than to buffer the flow of cash flows, dividend to the, to the account. Other people though will freak out if it's a 40% decline, sell everything and, and you know, again, that's why it's personality related. But purely academically, intellectually, if you have enough of a portfolio that you can fund your lifestyle from the dividends, you don't need anything else. Now, I'm not saying, Stephen, what you should do because I can't give you personal advice. I intend to retire, hopefully, if my investing does well enough, with a cash pile, or sorry, I shouldn't say cash pile, with a portfolio. That means I don't need any extra cash. Now, if I retired with 150 grand in cash and I was going to pull it down over the next three years and then go on the pension, then yeah, I should be in cash because I don't want to have to sell in the middle of a COVID crash or something else. So it depends entirely on how much money you bring. Now, you're 31, you've been investing since 26. But if you can, if you can keep earning and keep saving, most people in that situation would find themselves with more than enough money in their portfolio, between that and super, to not need to be conservative. The other thing is, if you're 65 and you're retiring, or 67 as you'll be, you've probably got 30 years of life left. That is way too early to start harming compounding. 30 more years of compounding over that period of time while you take some money out, I think well and truly worthwhile. So um, like Andrew, I hate it. <laughs> Other than if some, if you just need to just sleep at night, if you need to because you're, not you personally, but if anyone's not emotionally kind of uh, experienced or, or kind of consistent enough to be able to go through those, you know, in retirement, you can have more money in, right? If you're 75 and the market falls 40%, you're probably going to hate it. And if you're going to freak out at that point, you would have been better being having some in cash. But generally speaking, for me, I intend to have a full portfolio, generating dividend income, maybe even selling some that make good capital gains, depending on how it works, right through retirement. Ram? Yeah, I think I think you've covered it. You've covered it well there. I just general general rules of thumb, or people like to sort of quote these things almost as law. You know, yeah. they just there's there's no such the life is yeah. life doesn't fit into a nice little yeah. net box like that. So yep. I've got a friend who's not is about my age, and he's just massively risk averse, and mm-hmm. he earns a good wage, yeah, and yep. it's just all in cash. And I yep. cannot get him mm. to to make any investments. He's had yep. some bad experiences with his family and um, losing money mm-hmm. in the past through some dodgy, you know, share market operation. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't change his mind, you know. Yeah. And it's just like you've got a long time left fine. on on this mo- mortal coil. You yeah. were just losing at the moment. You're losing six or seven percent a year in purchasing yeah. power. I'm yeah. just saying, do something conservative. You know, I, I can throw anything I want at him mm-hmm. from a logical, rational point of view, and he's not going to yeah. change his mind. So, th- what's the right answer? Is actually, well, for him, that's the perfectly right answer. And and right. The, the the difference here is that he's not going in. His eyes are wide open. It was like, mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. there is an opportunity cost for this, mm-hmm. but for the way I look at the world, that's I'm more than happy to, to take that for, for the sleep at night factor. I was like, okay. Yep. I think yep. you're crazy, but you know, if, if it works for you, it works for you. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Let's go to Mark who says, Hello, Scott and Andrew. I hope the weather is a lot nicer than here in southern Victoria. That was a while ago, but I can say looking out the window, the weather is nice here. It's cold. 11 degrees here today, the maximum, mate, but uh, but Ooh. I'm not going to complain. The sun's out. Uh, he says, I'm a 27-year-old and got into investing after listening and subscribing to your services. Thank you, mate. I have several holdings, which overall I am happy with and invest for the long term. My question, I've not had the years or decades of experience in watching the market grow. However, I've started to notice a trend in my research. Stocks that have been listed for over a decade seem to have had steady rises and gentle inclines. 
generally and holistically from my eyes, he says. I can't help but think with the amount of accessible devices and trading platforms, there are easier ways to invest, which lures in younger and less informed investors. I feel a simple market sensitive announcement now can cause bigger than ever fluctuations in prices. Throw in a war, pandemic and inflation, and I appreciate there will be a bit of movement. However, I can't help but think we are in an incredibly bullish time in which fear, uh, air quotes, finfluences, and how to get rich quick schemes are wrecking a potentially steadier growth, which I alluded to earlier. To give you some insight, I'm holding stocks such as Kogan, I own those, Super Retail, Novonix, Fortescue Metals, I own those, and Nanasonics. I do have some solid stocks like Medibank Private and Vicinity Centres. I'd love to hear what you think about this. Am I simply looking at stocks that are susceptible to the smallest of market announcements? How can a young man place money confidently in a current market? Full on, I've always wanted to say that, from Mark. Love it, Mark, full on. Um, Ram, a lot of people investing in the market, the Wall Street bets crowd, the Robin Hood app traders, the everyone's in there, the stocks are all over the joint. Is Mark mm. right? Are we seeing more volatility in some of these companies than we used to? I don't think so. I mean, I don't have the data. The data would tell us. And some, someone somewhere, some financial academic has, has crunched the numbers and will be able to tell you. But I do think that we we often, as long as I can remember, people have said, well, the markets are different now. They used to be like this. And I think they've always been volatile and crazy. Maybe a little bit more. Maybe. I don't know. Let's, hype, let, let, let's, let's play it through. Um, yep. Let's say that it has. Fantastic, I say. Bring it on. <laughs> but Mark's trying to Mark's trying to have confidence in his investing thesis. I mean, yeah, but he's struggling to be confident because he's kind of seeing this whipsawing from the market. He's like, dude, I'm just trying to like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to get it right, and I keep getting just bashed and bashed and bashed. And I'm kind of thinking, geez, do I really want to do this? Yeah, with the greatest of respect, Mark, you, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the the, the volatility in the market, which is everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Virtually everyone. Oh, what am I doing? Oh, this is up. This is down. This is. Oh, is it, it feels like it's moving even more than things used to. It's like, but the, you, 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 you're losing sight of the forest for the trees. Right. Look at the business. What's the yeah. business done? Yeah. Um, Nanasonics. You mean? I, out of all the stocks you mentioned, I, I've got um, a very small holding in Nanasonics in real life, mm-hmm. and, and none on straw man anymore. Um, uh, but I know it incredibly well. Here's a business with a fortress balance sheet. They got more money than God sitting in their bank account, right? They've got this razor and blade model, which is super high yeah. net margin. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. You know, they 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 just they got cash just gushing in. Except they're mm-hmm. they're spending some more on some. They're not taking over the direct sales operations. They're they're getting a higher margin because they've taken GE out as a reseller. Mm-hmm. They've got some new products in the works. They've got a huge market opportunity in North America to continue to 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 um, capture more of the market. What is wrong with this picture? What is wrong with it? Like you know, and yet it's one of the most shorted stocks on the ASX at the moment. Um, what mm. what's going on? You know, mm-hmm. now to, to square the circle, I've just sort of said I've I've sold down, and I actually had them for years and years. It was purely an opportunity cost consideration. I feel okay. as though shares are on slightly on the expensive side of things. Okay. Um, uh, Having said that, if you know some really high quality companies deserve to be a bit more expensive, mm-hmm. whether I'm right or wrong, that's that. And I just I just had other opportunities elsewhere. I needed to free up some capital. I freed up some capital from something I thought was a little bit overvalued to something I thought was considerably undervalued. So don't don't read too much into it. But of all of that analysis, my decision hasn't been based on what the share price has done. My 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 decision was entirely based on what the business has done. How does that compare with what is available right now? Um, uh, in terms of what I can sell or sell it for, versus what I can do elsewhere with it. So whether it happens to be have a 
people will call, use this term beta, like how volatile it is relative mm. to the average. Maybe it's got a really high beta. You know, so it, when the market goes up 1%, it goes up 2 When the market falls 3%, it falls 6 You know, really high beta kind of stock. Great. Um, who cares? <laughs> it do, that doesn't, that's not coming into my calculus. The calculus mm, is mm, mm. I could press a button and put the money somewhere else. Is there a bit of risk, <laughs> better risk-reward opportunity? Yeah, yeah. That's the calculus. In terms of what, what, what matters, it, or I've just sort of scraped the surface there, but, but understanding the business, its prospects, mm. um, its, its balance sheet, all of those things, they're, they're the things to watch. Forget about, forget about all this other stuff. It's just noise. Yeah, I... Um... <sighs> So I'm just going to add to that, mate, only because your points are spot on. Mark, I think you're – I actually think Mark's right, mate. I, I think I've said on the podcast, I've certainly commented to the team, I may have even said to you either on, on podcast or not. I do think the um, this sudden and instantaneous falls particularly, but some of the rises are bigger than we would have seen in the past. It does seem like the whipsawing on, on announcements when, when companies are slightly disappointing. There are, I think there are more 30, 25, 30, 35% falls than we used to have five or seven years ago. I could be completely wrong. It could be rose-colored glasses. Maybe, maybe. I, yeah. feel like, I feel like the responses are getting more significant because of the combination of, I don't think it's just, by the way, young people and traders, but um, uh, you know, uh, computerized algorithms and stuff like that, they're falling, so let's get out. When they get out, it makes it fall further. That triggers more people to get out. These things can be, to some degree, self-fulfilling prophecies. I'm a small um, cap investor, mate. It's just that's just a Tuesday. <laughs> but but I do think I do think well again some of the bigger companies I think it was, I think it's unusual or was unusual I think it's more common the last three or four earnings periods last last two or three years um, than it was previously. That's certainly been the sense. I could be I could be absolutely just anchoring so and all rose coloured glasses in. So for what it's worth, take that take that. Mm-hmm. That being said, Mark, I want to reiterate Andrew's point because the market is not there to serve you and. Whether no, no, no. Not, it's not there to inform you. Sorry, it's not there to inform you. Thank you. Um, what I think... It, well, I actually... Yeah, you're right, actually. I mean, servers in look after you as opposed to be available for you. But yes, you're right. Mark is not there to inform you. Um, but it's also... the other, other investors aren't there to make you feel better is what I meant by serve, right? They're not mm. there to, to help you feel good about your investments. The fact that big, old companies go up and down more slowly is probably right because they are more stable businesses, you know, for all of the investment merits or otherwise of CSL and Commonwealth Bank and News Corp and Telstra, they're not going to be very surprising. <laughs> None of them are going to do anything meaningful that's going, to, that's going to shock the socks off you, right? Versus a company that is smaller, that is less uh, formidable, Nanosonics notwithstanding, uh, that has people more concerned about what might happen next. If you're, say, for example, in discretionary retail like you've identified or Fortescue Metals Group that I own, that is... Um, uh, you know, susceptible to the iron ore price. Those things are going to move like that because they 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 simply have those moving parts. And we've talked a lot already this episode and on Friday about the long term realities of this sort of stuff. I absolutely think you're right. Andrew doesn't, and and he may well be right. I think you're right. We're seeing more volatility, but it's really really important that you don't, as Andrew says, succumb to that volatility as a reason to invest or not to invest. What you're looking for is certainty and confirmation. And I don't blame you because everybody is and everyone would love that. You need to make your peace with the fact it's not going to come. And even if it does, think about, again, the, the Zip investor. When the shares went from $5 to $14 and told everyone, look, look how right I am. I made a fortune. Look at look at my shares going up. I'm a genius. See, look, they're going up. And they fall from 14 to 40 cents. And you go, oh, oh, I see. Which was right? Well, neither or both, but it's not the point. The point is, as Andrew says, whether the business is worth what you paid for it. If Novonix is a bigger, better, more profitable business in 10 years' time, you'll be glad you bought it today. 
Um, Super Retail Group continues. I think it's a really high quality retailer, by the way. Mm. Um, but yeah, it moves around because people jump in and out. They are responding to the news. Uh, the only question you've got to ask yourself is, is this going to be a better, bigger business in five and 10 years' time? The answer is yes. Ignore the volatility as much as it hurts, as hard as it is. We've just talked about that a lot in this podcast and Friday's podcast. That's what you need to do. So is it the fault of day traders of, of apps? Maybe, if, even if it is true. Andrew doesn't think it is. I think it possibly is, but either way, does it matter? No, it's just the reality, right? If it had always been like that, let, let, let's, go, let's, let's just for the fun of it, go back 40 years and say markets have been this volatile for the last 40 years. They still would have got to exactly where they got to because the underlying businesses did exactly what they did and the share prices are exactly what they are. Whether they fluctuated the entire time or whether it's slow, steady upward trend from 1982 to today, the same result is the end. Whether, whether it fluctuates in the meantime, you've used the example, Andrew, I, I love of the, you know, watching a, ma- a bloke take a dog for a walk, right? The dog's all over the place. The guy still gets to the same point. Mm. That, that, you know, Everyone's watching the dog. Choose, everyone right. is watching the dog and trying to guess where he's going to go next. And everyone, everyone else knows. Well, just wherever the wherever the man walking the dog is going to go, right. that's where the dog is going to go. <laughs> Whether he and likes so it, it or not, and it doesn't matter which of those things is true, right? Because the, the starting point is the starting point. The end point is the end point. Whether whether you even if you watch the dog, you watch the dog for the long term, the dog still gets the same point as the bloke. Mm. <laughs> that, you know, so it doesn't actually matter which one you watch. You shouldn't watch the dog because it's a waste of time. But what I'm saying is the, the, the experience you're having, Mark, of the dog you're watching is, is, you know, is understandable. And I absolutely understand and empathize with the, with the concern. You've just got to either make your peace with it or ignore it. I'd say ignore it personally, but maybe making your peace is actually better because it means you can um, you know, not, be, not be influenced by it if you do happen to see it or notice it or get told about it. Uh, but staying the course is, is, is the key one. I'm going to flip it around, mate. I, oh, I don't, don't, don't even make your peace with it or ignore it. Okay. Relish it. Really <laughs> should. No. If you think of, I mean, this is this. It sounds trite again, but it's if, hard. If, if, if you, it is, I, I, I know, and it's you just and so I are easy to are say. Differently wired than most people. Look, but but I mean, if you think about it intellectually <laughs> for a second, so yeah. to use your example from 1980 through to today, yep. What would you want? Would you want something <laughs> that was really volatile or not? Now, yeah. the, the 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 advantage of being really volatile is that these swings, you're going to swing, like in, in a perfectly. Uh, efficient market, it's just going to perfectly track intrinsic value and you're always going to get a pretty average return by definition. What you want is a market where periodically it just swings to ridiculously undervalued status. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Uh, so you're telling me that I've got a choice between something where it's like there's there's no sales or I can go to the shop and every, every now and again something's 40% off. Mm, I'll, exactly. I'll take that. Every, now, if, if yeah, Mark correct. was 67, I'd go, okay, that's a different scenario. Yeah. He's 31, did you say? Yes. You know, that great. Uh, no, I think he was younger than that, actually. I think 27. Was 27, 27. Yep. Oh, my yep. God. Wow. You yep. know, long, <laughs> exactly. long may it persist, yeah, Mark. Yeah, long yeah, may you yeah. see. Wouldn't it be great for you? Now, let's assume that you just stick with Nanasonics. Let's say that you yeah, think it's yeah. the, the shares are, gosh, I don't even know what they are at the moment. Let me just quickly no. bring that up. Let's say, so shares at the moment are 460-odd. Mm. Let's say you think these are a $15 share in 10 mm. years' time for the sake of argument. Yep. Um, wouldn't it be great? Now, A, would you, would you be happy to hold them now at 460 knowing it's going to be $15 at mm. that point? Yes, you would. But wouldn't it be even better for someone who's working and saving money if between mm. then and now they got to a dollar and then stayed mm. there for five mm. years? Like logically, yeah, yeah, correct, correct. That would be fantastic because now I'm actually able to buy in at even cheaper and cheaper prices. So long as that destination, mm-hmm. uh, your 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 view of that destination is reasonably accurate, you should beg and plead for big 
irrational plunges in price. Mm. Yeah, no, fair enough, mate. That, that's fair. I just, I, I think the, the challenge is, is embrace it if you can, if your personality lets you. If not, then, uh, then try and put it out of your mind. But either or both, trying to get caught in the middle might be the, might be the challenge. Yeah, and I just very quick, very quick clarification. Mm. Sometimes that goes awry when if it actually that no, your calculus is entirely wrong. Mm. Nanosonics Mm. is going to be twenty cents in fifteen years' time. Then holding it now doesn't make sense, and buying backing the truck up when it gets to a dollar doesn't make any sense as well. So it all, everything I've said only 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 makes sense if you've still got that Mm. confidence Mm. in that in that long term value. Fair enough too. From from James, mate. Hello, Scott and Rampage. Scott, I hope you enjoyed your trip. I did. Thank you, James. I enjoyed it immensely. I've only recently started investing and it's all thanks to you two. Oh dear. At a younger age, I got suckered into the get rich quick day trading course. Fool me once, he says. Since this experience and my general lack of knowledge of the share market, I had avoided it. Since stumbling across the podcast, I've learnt much. So thank you. I'm only 35. So I have good many years of investing ahead of me. I'm currently just focusing on a few ETFs with regular investment. However, I'm researching a few companies that I'm interested in. My questions are completely unrelated. However, here they are. Number one, why is Andrew called Ram? (laughs) Uh, That was a nickname that, uh, was it you or was it? (laughs) It was uh, me. It was my fault. Because I am am fond of a good brand. And... uh, (laughs) And there was a lot of Rampage there, and my surname is Page, and so Ram Page. And that's yeah. <laughs> so it's, just a, just the so, old good old Aussie nickname. Just what do you call someone with the surname of Page? And we went with Ram, and it sort of stuck. And can I can I tell you too, mate? How long since you left the Motley Fool? Five years. Or something? I had I had someone mention you yesterday and ask about uh, how's Ram going. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> so even even people who who uh, haven't worked with you for years and don't talk to you regularly are still are still referring to you as Ram, which I just warms the cockles of my heart. Yeah, uh, James's second question, mate, is what resources and how have you or will you go about educating your kids on finance, the stock market, and the philosophy of long term investment? I came from an old school family that never discussed finances, and as a result, grew up with very little financial education. I don't want my kids to end up in the same situation. I was explaining to my eight-year-old how shares work at a rudimentary level. On conclusion of our conversation, he decided he isn't going to own a public company because he doesn't want to share. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, can I I tell you, James, if you do a good enough job that he can buy a public company outright, make it a private company, good luck to him. Otherwise, he may just have to share. But that is so great. I love the idea of just want to share. That's fantastic. My my young bloke's nine, so I'm I'm feeling some of your pain. Um, It's a really good question, Ram. Can I tell you, we've done this for years. I have, I have two young blokes, one's 26, one's nine. Uh, so so very different age groups and very different experiences. And I've got to say, mate, I've been thinking this through for a long time. Um, my oldest is is my wife's son, um, but but the youngest is, is ours. And I've had plenty of time to think about this. I still don't have an answer. It's, it's my, one of my great um, failures as, as, a, as a stepfather and a father is uh, I don't have a really good answer. And frankly, given I do this for a job, it's it's pretty negligent on me not have that answer. But it's I think the problem is you learn to be a parent at the same time as you try and learn finance and try and work out what's age appropriate, what works and what doesn't and how do you land it all. I don't have an answer. I hope you do because I can't help James, at least with anything really, really concrete. I think one of the frustrating, many frustrating things of kids is <laughs> that you can have the best thing. They're not... They're not going to be interested at the time that yeah. you're ready to teach unfortunately yeah. so i've had a, my <laughs> my eldest is 12 going on 13 so he's coming mm. into the teenage mm. years and 
Yeah. You know, whenever I start to, his eyes just roll over. He's just so sick. To <laughs> yeah, whatever. Whatever, <laughs> Dad. Whatever. I don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it is the kids just, <laughs> they, they've got a different outlook. They live in the, the moment, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very hard for me to sort of say, oh, don't have this marshmallow now and you'll get two marshmallows yeah. in a year's yeah. time. A year? I mean, that's like, it's like saying to an adult, in the year 2289. Oh, yes. So true, mate. You know, like they're, they're so just true. they're just not going to get it. So it's, I don't I also don't have an answer. It's hard for 25 year olds, quite honestly, mate. Even those who know that they know that they know, trying to it, being 25 and thinking about retiring is just such a bloody foreign concept. Then imagine trying to do an eight year old. It's just it's just it's not it's not even a criticism. It's just it's just again we talk about evolution, right? We're just not made to think 40, 60 years in advance, particularly when we're kids, but even when we're adults. Yeah. Trying to get, you know, the amount of people who took money out of super because I'm 25, I've got plenty of years to save and I want the jet ski or the TV now. Yeah. It's like, it just, it, it's just really, really hard. What I've, what I've offered mm. um, my kids is I've, I'll say, I give them a ridiculously high rate of interest and I do that because, you know, yeah. they've got five bucks or something. Yeah. something. <laughs> I, you you I, wait till you get some money from grandma and they've got $5,000. That's, and that's, that's right. Interest, then, I'm, then I'm going to be in trouble. But I, I will say, <laughs> you know, it's just sort of like, I give the Reserve Bank of Andrew will reduce interest rates because of uh, economic instability or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Doing a bit of quantitative easing on, on the kids. Um, but I, I, will, I will actually absolutely say to him, is this like, I'll give you 20% monthly interest. Mm. Give me this. You've got, you, you know, yeah. somehow he's done a bit of work. You've got 10 bucks in his pocket. Give it to me. And at the end of the month, I'll give you $12. That's, that's a 20% rate of interest in a month. I mean, annualize yeah, that. Yeah. It's insane. Warren Buffett would be knocking the door down to get that, mm. you know. But then he goes, so I get twelve dollars yeah. in four weeks' time. Yes. Yeah. And you're telling me that's good. Yes. <laughs> that's the problem. But I've got ten dollars now. Yes. Yep. yep. Or I could tw no, not interested. I go and buy that toy that I want because I want the toy right now. Yeah. And I haven't got the facilities to actually delay gratification because I'm eight. It's 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 really, really tricky. But I've just yeah. I've just been consistent with it. It's just like whenever you want it, it is it is here. Yeah. And then there has been look there have, despite despite um, the, the inclination for us in him mm. to mm. shoot themselves in the foot he has taken me up on it before okay and and you know it's sort of like that moment when he goes because he'll be in that right frame of mind going yeah okay I don't really want it right now and then I'll I set something on my phone and then actually give him a little bit extra right so there he goes fifteen bucks just to use the same example before mm. and it's like wow that feels really good I just reminds like you know you could have spent this on that stupid plastic mm. thing that mm. you wanted here's fifteen dollars <laughs> now now buy a slightly more expensive piece of crap plastic thing but yeah. but it is that I think you you do see a bit of a light bulb moment go off so my plan is just to try and reiterate that again and again and again. But uh, the other thing that I've, oh God, I mean, every parent makes he heaps of mistakes mm. and I'm sure we're making tons of it. But I, I also <laughs> think the, the best thing you can do as a parent is just be a good role model and, and be the kind of person who, who isn't frivolous with their spending because mm. kids, mm. monkey see, monkey do, right? Yep. So yep. I, I think if, if you can sort of show a bit of restraint and stuff, it probably mm. rubs off unintentionally. But I don't know. I've got no easy answers. Yep. No, I love it, man. I think that's I think that's all really good advice. Uh, a couple of things for me is, I think I love the monkey see monkey do. Just straight out, this is what we mm. do, and, and just trying to kind of develop some of those behaviours. And that will absolutely work. It won't work all the time. It won't work the way you want, but it will work. I've given the example before uh, of my twenty six year old when he was fourteen, fifteen. Uh, he wanted to buy a three thousand dollar computer because he had the money, and I was like, oh, dude, maybe he's a bit older. Uh, I was like, oh, dude. I mean, I hear what you're saying, and we sat and had a really good conversation about it. He came back, said, Scott. I hear what you say and I appreciate it. I really value what you said, but I'm going to buy the computer anyway. It's like, mm. cool, that's fine. 
you know, and that's that has to be okay because the kids need to make their own decisions and be empowered to do that. And I will say, after even now, he says financially, probably wasn't the greatest idea, but I really loved that computer at the time. I'm like, well, you know what? That's that's kind of it needs to be okay. Um, uh, plenty of people, by the way, will grow up not suitable for. I, I love the hell out of superannuation. If it's not the best thing financially we've had in the last forty years, I don't know what is, um, because it saves us from our, our monkey selves, and and that's just so. You know, some people just need to rely on that, and that's okay too. Mm. Uh, from for us with our young bloke. Um, the idea of interest of getting money for nothing. So your point about the you know twelve dollars, ten dollars, it's not a lot of money, but it's like how, how about I give you two dollars in, in you know in a month's time? Uh, well, for just if you just leave the money here, the idea of getting something for nothing is is important. We've talked about dividends with our young bloke. Um, just the idea of you know, and, and we used our example. We haven't told him the amount of money we have or invest or how much we get. But occasionally I'll say, oh, look, mate, I got, I got a couple hundred bucks from whatever it was company uh, in, in the bank account the other day. What for? Nothing. I just own the shares. So you got money for nothing. Yeah, literally money. Wow, money for nothing? That sounds awesome. Mm. So that's that's super useful. Um, so that, that works for us. And then just owning, being, being an owner of a company, talking about the businesses that we own is just kind of impressive for kids. And that can start something. So we own some shares in X. We own some shares in Telstra. We own some shares in Coke. I've already mentioned this episode. I'll mention it again and we'll have a drink. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it just, just, Amazon, again, same. Just because it's it's a thing, right? And it just, it just it creates that idea of, as you say, the old school kind of not talking about finances, we're trying to reverse that and say, you know, we're not going to give you the dollars and cents because kids can't handle that information. They'll tell their mates or they won't or they'll, you know, if you've got a spare $5, the kids assume you can spend it on them because that's just, you know, Dad, Dad, have you got $100? I want this thing. I say, you've got $100, you can't have it. Okay, that's one. Oh, just, no, no, I don't have the money. Don't have, don't have $100, you know. Um, he thinks I've got $1,000, which is which is lovely right now and that, that suits me down to the ground, but at some point he'll realise that we have a couple more dollars more than that. Um, so that's that's part of it. So that's what I, I think just tell him about what you own, the fact you're only buying some shares, talk about it around the dinner table, make it part of that conversation. It's probably as useful as it can going to get. Last thing from me, I've talked about my nephews before. They are two really, same same parents, uh, same experiences, that one's only 18 months older than the other one. Um, exactly, but so incredibly different. One is a massive saver. He's always never going to work ever because he's going to save so much money. He's going to earn less money and, and compound his money and therefore he doesn't have to work. He's going to be a millionaire. So who cares? That's actually become counterproductive because now he's starting to talk about, that's not what I do for a job. I'm going to have all this money. I'm going to be rich. I don't need to work. It's like, oh, it doesn't quite work that way. But he's saving like bugger and he's investing and he's just loving it. The other kid just wants to spend and spend and spend. And he can, yeah, he never never, never found something he couldn't spend money on. He couldn't justify buying computers or, or uh, musical instruments or whatever he wants to do, right? Uh, and that's the same, the same kid, the same biology, the same life experience, the same family, the whole lot. Uh, so it, is, it does come down, unfortunately, sometimes just to, just to biology and, and celebrate the kids for who they are. Um, but that's what, I would, that's what I would suggest personally. You, you got me thinking with the super thing. I think every time I give my kids some money for doing a job, mm. you know, um, they wash the car or something, I'll say I'll pay yeah. you whatever. Like stick with round numbers, $10 for that. Yeah. I should give them $9 and keep half a dollar in super. And, and I should I should have a, like a ledger or something somewhere on my phone so at least I can yeah. show them. You know, they'll be That's happy. Cool. Here's your money. And That's quite cool. Yeah, maybe that works. Maybe yeah, that, yeah, nice. nice yeah. Nice. Hey, don't, don't, don't be cheap though. Give him 10 and then give, take a dollar on top of that and put it aside. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. Uh, James's last question. I've looked at the list of ASX listed companies and was amazed how many public companies have listed over the last three years. Yeah, I assume yeah. there's a relatively low success rate and some quick research indicated about a 6% success rate. Given this, what is the attraction of IPOs? Is mm. it just a hope and a pray that, is, that it is successful and therefore produces significant returns? Is it, it worth the risk over a mm. period of time? 
Mm. Regards, James. Great question. So, well, actually, a broader answer first. When you look at mm. the share market, we often talk about the average share market return. Um, mm. That is that is under that is um, delivered pretty much thanks to I think like something like less than ten percent of the stocks <laughs> on the market. <laughs> yeah. So you have these. In, what you gen- generally have when you're looking at averages, you have this handful of just absolute <laughs> killer stocks. Mm. And a big, big chunk of mediocrity, and yeah. then a long tail of of uh, uh, absolute disasters. That that's the public markets, which is why ETFs are so sort of compelling because you just sort of guarantee that you capture the big ones. So you don't you don't get the pers- the, the stock that a thousand X's over ten years, but uh, directly, but yeah. you get exposure yeah. to it, and that more than offsets all the losses. So there's there's oh. there's something to be said for that. But it does. The reason I mention that is because. Part of that is a lot of a lot of companies that just don't do well, mm. and really, what if I wanted to be a cynic, I would say the whole point of a public market is exit liquidity for insiders. <laughs> just, yes. I've, I've got my business. Yeah. I'm a bit sick of it now. I want to like I've I've spent like the better part of 20 years building it, and now I just want out. Well, mm. how do I sell it? I've, I've mm. list on the market. I sell my shares. See you later. Mm. Um, that's that's the, that's the cynic's kind of view of it. Mm. Um, the other the other part of it is is that it's this annoying answer of it depends. I mean, I can think of some IPOs that were just incredible opportunities, you know, and then I can yeah. think of a bunch that that yeah, aren't. Right. I, and I haven't right. done the I haven't done the hardcore analysis to work out what what it is. So mm. It, mm. It, it depends. It depends. The risk of the risk of a IPO is that you don't have years and years of publicly disclosed. Um, financial information to help inform your decision. Yes, in the prospectus, they'll provide you with that. But if I know I'm going to list my business, my, my target is to sort of list in the next couple of years, I'm going to run things very differently to dress up my financials. I'm not lying about them, but I'm probably going to cut back on any sort of growth expenditure. I'm probably going to be a little bit tighter with, with, with some of my costs. I'm going to try and bring as many sales forward as I can. You know, you're, just, you're going to. And then the person, the investment bank that, that is paid very well, mind you, to bring you to market is, 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 is a salesperson. That's what they're doing. Their job is to sell your company. And there has never been a prospectus in the history of the mm, world. They mm. go, well, it's okay, but, <laughs> but there's yeah. a few things you need to be aware of. No, every prospectus is glowing. And, and mm. again, nothing you, 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 would, you would hope, and, and for the most part it's true, that there's no outright lies yep, or yep, fraud within yep. that. But, but they are going to, you know, the, the real estate agent that's selling a house is, is not going to go out of their way to point out some, you know, a bit of some white ant problems in, in a corner of one room. Like, they're just, you're just not going to do it unless what is absolutely legally required. So mm. I personally am in no rush to get into an IPO. I, 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 some, there, are, there have been exceptions in the past where I yep. just thought yep. it was really attractive. But generally speaking, what's the rush? What's the mm. rush? And, and if you look at a lot of those ones that have listed in recent years, you'll actually look at it right now and say now is that you've actually got a chance to buy the same company at a much cheaper price because yeah. of the way things have gone and with a bit more water under the bridge in terms of the financials that have been released. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, don't – don't. The, the, any, there is very little reason in investing yep. that you need to act right now. You know, you've, you've usually got time on your side. Yeah. Yeah, I can't have much more than that. Um, 
the the answer is greed, as always. I don't. I mean, greed is is a is a bad thing. It's a deadly sin, all that kind of stuff. Um, everyone investing is investing for more in the future. So we're all we're all tapping into the same idea in different in different ways, shapes, or forms. Um, but James, it's it's un, unbridled greed. The the story of the one cent IPO that went to fifteen dollars is what everyone else wants to jump on, just in case they possibly maybe get that. Um, and there was a really long string. Made it, am I going back to? pre-GFC I probably am of these you know stag profits as they call them the one day jumps of 40, 50, 60, 70, 80% on IPOs and everyone wanted to be in on that so they could get their money and make their make their quick buck and and obviously it's you know it, well not obviously it was also offered to insiders who then made out like bandits um, it's, it's just it's a messy 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 area I generally as a rule I don't think I've ever bought a company that's been listed for less than a year I could be wrong and I, I should put an asterisk on that and say I haven't checked recently that they'll make sure that I'm right um, for Andrew's reason, I just there's just no re- no need to. There's no reason to do it. Um, uh, there are some companies I'd love to own, and maybe if one of those came public, I might even try and buy the IPO or, or something. You know, depending on the price, because uh, some great private businesses out there. But yeah, I, I mean, the other thing is every every company in the ASX was an IPO at one point. So also also remember that the you know the businesses that we know and love today were originally private companies that came public. That that's they have to. That's you can't go on the ASX without having a public offering. That's exactly what it does to get listed. And so think about the top 20, 40, 50, 80, 100 companies that have been around forever. They listed at some point and have made a lot of money for a lot of people. CSL, Commonwealth Bank, BHP, uh, Telstra, maybe not Telstra actually, Woolies, um, West Farmers, Coles, even Solpats, which listed back in 1900 and something, right? I own shares in Solpats. Um, was an IPO at some point. And so, you know, not all IPOs are going to go badly, but yeah, absolutely, you're right. Um, it's, a, it's a messy area. A lot of those at IPO are just doing it because they want cash, as Andrew says. They're either speculative businesses who are trying to, you know, maybe they're biotech or they're miners who just want to tap the public markets to get money to try and discover the next big thing. And if they do, Fortescue is a great example. It's gone spectacular, just so well. And good on Twiggy. He's, he's built a great business and done, done a lot of good stuff and he's made a fortune for a lot of people. But for every Fortescue, there's you know dozens and dozens of others that haven't. The odds aren't particularly great, unfortunately. So uh, as Andrew says, getting exposure to that anyway is a good idea. But I would always wait a year. I want to see two full... I, I would even wait almost 18 months. I would want mm. not, not only a full year of financials, but I want to see the first year of like for like versus the last time it reported as a public company. Yep. So let's say it reports this August for the first time. I want to see that in February. Then I get a full year's worth of data. I'd probably even wait till next August's numbers so I could get the first year-on-year comparison just see how the business is continuing to perform. Mm. Um, no guarantees, even by, that, by the way, by that, uh, but, a, but a pretty good start. Some will double in that period of time, mate. I will miss a double. I'll be like, oh, bugger. Others will fall 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and I'll go, oh, good, lucky you missed that. Mm. Um, there's no way to know in advance, but don't worry about missing a little bit. Don't. You know, it's, as Andrew says, no, there's no hurry, right? If you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong. Don't feel the need to get rushed into to buying something. Can I give you a hack? Is, Please. Is, so obviously read the prospectus, right? Read all the read all the glossy brochure material as to what the company's going to do and all the forecasts. Yep. Great. Yeah. Pay especially close attention to what the mm. current owners are doing. How much yep. are they selling down? How much options contracts do they get how long are the shares that they remain are in escrow for yeah yep. so there's a there absolutely examples so i was very cynical before but there's absolutely examples of companies that are just like yeah. crushing it and they're going to the public market because they want to tap more money because mm. they've just invented something in 
brilliant and and they <laughs> want right. to look at facebook I mean, and they should if, yeah you exactly. know like exactly. like i remember Google. at the time yep. facebook yep. listed its ipo was on like 100 times earnings and i thought this is yeah. stupid yeah. <laughs> do you remember <laughs> that those going I back th- a while i think i wrote an article about it but i tried to find it the other day i couldn't oh a year or so ago i couldn't find it so i'm hopeful i either didn't do it or it's been lost in history because i was uh, want it, bloody yeah. stupid stock don't buy facebook you shouldn't be reminding you know <laughs> exactly. and it turns out that you know even despite what's happened it was actually a really good move yeah um uh, Zuck kept a bunch of shares, you know. So, but look, look at look at what yeah. the insiders are doing. I don't want to name names because yeah. I don't want to get myself into legal trouble. But there's a company yeah, that listed do. recently, and the insiders were just basically dumping all of their shares. Yeah. They had all these low hurdles where they got all of these um, uh, shares that that would that would um, come into the money at very Funny very that. short time frames at very yeah. attractive yeah. rates, and then they were allowed to sell very quickly. Now you're not; these things don't happen by accident. You're not structuring things in this way if you're yep. genuinely looking to participate in the yeah, long-term wealth right. creation of the business. You are that's structuring right. this thing so you can get the hell out as quickly as possible, yeah. um, get a little bit of a salary along the way, probably a very good salary along the mm-hmm. way, and dump your slowly dump your shares on market. And then by the time everyone else realizes that this whole thing is <laughs> is is, is um, a nightmare. You're already you're already sold out at much higher prices to, to other people. It's it's horribly it's it's horrible, but it, yep. it it happens. So so look at look at that part very closely. Be careful. Yep. Yeah. Be careful. Uh, again, there's always exceptions. To the other thing, right? But but the exception proves the rule. It doesn't mean the rule isn't valid. So just be be careful. Yep. Um, let's go with the last one for Scott. We've got a little bit over time, mate. We've got a massive amount of mail. So let's try and get through one quick more one one quick one more. Anyway, what I was going to say. Hi, Scott and Ram says Scott. <coughs> excuse me. Thanks for all your hard work. A question for the pod. My approach to investing is fairly simple and very much long-term. That is two very good things to be, simple and long-term. Every week I contribute into an index fund. I've done this since the COVID crash and plan to keep doing this forever. Scott, I think there are very, very many, many, many fewer things uh, that are sure bets than that. I think it's a really, really smart idea. Occasionally, when I do have a few more dollars to play with, thanks to a tax return or a bonus, I will use that money to invest in individual stocks. My first question is this. Is there anything wrong with this approach? I realize I'm jumping from dollar cost average and index fund on one hand to shifting gears and buying individual stocks on another. Anything wrong with that idea, Ram? No, nothing at all. Yep. Uh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, don't don't feel like you need. We said this a little bit earlier. Don't feel like you need to artificially constrain your investing or be somehow holier than thou or stricter in your application. Um, as long as as well as rather than instead of, I think that's a super smart thing to do. Um, think about I don't know what the size of the relative investments are. That'd be the only question I'd ask. If you're going to kind of, you know, if if you're putting in I don't know five hundred bucks a month and then you get a ten grand bonus. Well, that's going to dwarf the, the five hundred bucks a month. So maybe just be careful about how you're allocating that, what it does to the sort of the size and the balance of your portfolio. If you buy one stock with ten grand and then you buy an ETF with five hundred bucks a month, you'll end up with a few stocks that are bigger than that. And if you haven't maybe been thoughtful about what they are or, or you don't experience what they are, they might bring you undone. So just be a little bit careful with that. But other than that, I see no no problem at all. A second related question, if I may, he says, I'm long term focused, so I see bear markets like this one as a buying opportunity. He says in brackets, there's a joke in there somewhere about Yogi Bear and the picnic basket. <laughs> there's got to be one somewhere. We'll work on that one. I instinctively look at buying individual stocks rather than buying more of the index fund I'm invested in. My question is, does the calculus change at all in a bear market? That is, is the decision-making process of choosing between individual stocks versus the index fund any different? 
when we're in a bear market. Interested in your thoughts? If you see in brackets, please feel free to rant away. It's always entertaining for us listeners. <laughs> Cheers, Scott. We'll try not to, Scott, because we've gone uh, we've gone along on this episode. But uh, it's a good question, mate. Should there be more or less interest in individual stocks versus ETFs when we're in different types of markets? I'm tempted to say my in, my instinctual answer is no, not really. Um, we were talking yeah. before about the importance of process and just being consistent mm-hmm. and you know good times and bad. There is a part of me though that would um, imagine that when when we do get into a, a bear market, and that's mm. defined as the the overall general market as measured by an index sort of falling mm. by twenty percent mm. or or mm. so more. Um, within that average, there's all all kinds of variations from the mean. I look at the market at the moment. So the, the all odds is down 10% or so from last year's high. It's, it's, it's hardly anything, you know. Yeah. Um, but there are stocks in there that have fallen 40%. Um, yeah. so, so when I look at, again, everything is, needs to be looked through the lens of opportunity cost. Mm. So I've got a bit of extra money in my pocket. I can buy an, an index into the index again, which is down about 10%. Um, uh, and that'll probably be a very sensible decision over mm. time. It's a very safe, mm. easy decision. But then within that, mm-hmm. there's maybe the company I'm looking at has actually done incredibly well. And it's just been, it's just mm-hmm. it happens to be more volatile, been an area of the market that is a little bit scary at the moment. And, and th- that is going to give me a far better risk reward opportunity. If I can buy into that without drastically altering the overall structure of my portfolio, I'd, I'd be tempted to go that way. In fact, that's, that's well, that tends, tends to be exactly what I do. Yeah, I. Um I, th- I don't think it changes. I don't personally think it changes. It matters what part of the market you're in because the reality is individual stocks have almost, by, well, not every single stock. The vast bulk of stocks have more, a larger range of outcomes than the average index, mm. almost by definition, right? If you're Telstra, maybe not. If you're a pipeline or a, a toll road, again, COVID notwithstanding, probably not because the, the cash flows are reasonably known and the things that impact the total market, for example, might be iron ore prices or retail sales that may not impact you if you're a, if you're a gas pipeline or a... I don't know what else, you know, an airport or something. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, but, but broadly, 90, I'm going to say, not, I'm going to make numbers, Andrew. I reckon 92 and a half, 92.34693% of companies have a bigger range of outcomes in the market as a whole, mm. which means that there is all, almost always That's true. more opportunity to, to beat the market or to lose to the market at any part of the, mar- in, in any part of the cycle because that's just the reality, right? Something, <coughs> excuse me. A stock might go up 30% or down 30% in a day or a week or a month. The market's almost never going to do that with the exception of COVID. Um, so I, I, I don't think there's any point in time at which it's, it's a better or worse idea to go index versus stocks in, 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 a, in a relative sense. You might always say it's better to go stocks or always better to go indices, mm. but I don't think it matters market-wise because the decision you're making is probably comes down to your level of confidence, your conviction, your ability, your desire to take on more risk and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I, I don't think it, might, it should matter as much. Mm. That being said, it's possible that because of that, in a bear market, you have stocks that are down more than the market. And some will deserve it, but some won't. And so there's probably more opportunity, I, I would speculate, this is random out there speculation, uh, if, if the market's down 15% and some companies down 30 40 50%, some it deserves to be, by the way. So again, it's really important you don't just say anything that's down more than the market is worth buying. That's not what I'm saying at all. Let me be really, really clear. But I think there is an opportunity to kind of go, okay, well, company X is down 50%. It doesn't deserve to be. The, the market's overreacting. Therefore, there's more upside when the market and this stock recovers than there is on the total market. I think that's also true. 
but just know you're taking more risk as well because some don't recover the way you think they might, right? I'm going to buy HIH insurance because when it recovers, it's an old name and the old listeners will remember this one. When the market recovers, it'll be great. It subsequently goes broke, right? Or Enron or AMP is a great example, right? AMP is down this percent. When, they, when it, you know, it's got more upside recovery. When it goes up, gee, it's going to go up so much and then it doesn't. Or Zip, $14 to $7. It's already fallen in half. Imagine when it goes back up, goes to $3. But imagine when it goes back up, goes to a dollar. Imagine when it goes back up. Uh, you know, these things can happen and, and, and will happen from time to time. By the same token, uh, give me an example, mate, of one that's crashed and then, and then recovered strongly. Um, Afterpay itself, actually, as much as I don't didn't like it, don't like it, it fell from, I'm going to say 40 to 8 during the COVID, then went up to 100 or something. You know, those kind of stories, if you'd, if you'd liked the story, if you believed in it, if you thought it was worthwhile, and again, it's probably a bad example because I didn't particularly like it. I don't particularly like it still, but... Um, you know, that's a situation where it fell probably 80%, the market fell 40%, and the recovery of the market was up 70%, and after it went up, you know, 1,000% or something. Um, so, you know, in those kind of circumstances, that's the, an illustration of where good stock picking during a crash, when they've been bombed out, and if they have that chance to recover and likelihood to recover, can do even better for you. Is that, is that clear? Have I, have I confused people? <laughs> I wish we I wish we worked in an industry where it was just <laughs> just we're, easy we're physicists or biologists or something. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. E always equals MC squared because it just does. And here's the proof. Okay, yeah. let's move on. Yeah. If I if I shoot a cannonball at this speed on that angle, it will land there. <laughs> you know. I, I wish I wish it was. But although at the same time I don't because it, it is it is the yeah. nuance that gives yep, the exactly. opportunity for the edge. And um, if everything was perfectly priced, mate, then you and I would be looking for another job. Oh yeah, we we work basically be dealing with bonds. Yeah. Um, Scott, my bottom line is I don't think I would rush out to change my investment approach to try and effectively time the market. If you're an ETF investor, <coughs> excuse me, I would be inclined, I can't give you personal advice, mate, but um, if I was an ETF investor, I'd be inclined to keep ETF investing because I, the other thing is probabilities work out over periods of time. If you have a bear market once every five years and you buy three stocks every time you do it, then you know, in 10 years time, you'll have bought nine stocks total. The chance that your probability works out across that small number of instances is actually a really long. Whereas if you buy, if you dollar cost average every month for 10 years, it's 120 different circumstances, you're going to buy something. The odds are going to work out more like they should. You talked about uh, 21 before, Andrew, and, and card games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just would be a little bit careful about, about, about trying to selectively do that by one company at one point in the cycle. Maybe you get AMP, maybe you get Afterpay. Uh, does that make either outcome invalid? No, but but you know the money you end up with, that you may not you may not get what you want. So just be a little bit careful. Um, I, I don't know that I would I, pick 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 a pick an approach to your point for about trusting the process and to pick a process and just follow that through and probably re- if you if you if the urge of being a bit greedy and then maybe getting pushed off your process because circumstances change. Oh, I'm ne- this time I'm going to make a fortune. Cause I'm going to do this instead. Maybe, maybe you get lucky. Maybe you're even, you're even clever enough to do it. Or maybe you kind of go, you know what? I got, I got the greed pulled me off my, my long-term strategy and that went badly. Wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a f- completely foreign concept to many people. Are we done? I think so. Thank you for spending a bit more time with me today, mate. And thank you, listeners, for spending some more time with us. Uh, we've got a big mailbag to get through. Hopefully, the questions were useful. They certainly were. Hopefully, our answers were useful, is maybe what I should have said. Questions were good. Answers, eh, you can judge. Well, we would have got Until- through a lot more questions if we didn't ramble for so long either. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> 
Mate, just quietly. If anyone's listening to this podcast more than three weeks, they well and truly know that. But hopefully it was useful. Hopefully we've entertained you. Hopefully we've given you something to think about. Uh, hopefully we've informed you as well. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, most importantly, we hope you're enjoying the podcast. We hope it's worth spending about an hour with us uh, in between your ears. If you have enjoyed it, please let us know. Please leave a review on iTunes if you would. Please tell your friends too. If you've got friends who you think might be interested, um, yeah, they might not love us, but they're not going to hate you for recommending it. So maybe maybe drop them an idea. Uh, you know the socials. Uh, quickly, if you want to send an email, info at fool.com.au. Follow up either of us on Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest or follow me at TMF Scott P or at The Motley Fool AU. Until next time, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.